0: Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French. We're going back to Mars for part two of Patricia Keeler's Colony. Let's not dilly-dally, buckle in and hang on. Here we go.
1: Troy hoped that his friends were right. Only time would tell now. Certainly, if the man was captured and there were no more strange occurrences, then perhaps it would be safe to assume that the same man who shot Senator McFerguson was behind all the other incidences too. News reports the following day were full of assassination theories. There was much speculation regarding the identity of the murderer and his motives. There were also numerous sightings, although none of them provided the police with the lead they needed in order to capture the assassin. However, after about three weeks, interest in the story began to die down. The assassin remained at large, but no further incidences of any kind were reported in the colony. Attention was now being focused on finding a replacement for Senator McFerguson, and his replacement was due to arrive shortly from Earth. For Troy, The fact that there had been no other occurrences was proof that Senator McFerguson's assassin was indeed behind some plot to undermine the colony and its government. Troy had once again begun to feel safe within the confines of the colony and was planning yet another weekend in the Wild Zone. This time, he planned to go camping there with his sister, Skye, and Chase. Troy was very much looking forward to this trip, as were the others. He found that Babylon could sometimes be a rather claustrophobic city and that he occasionally just wanted to escape to a more natural, less sanitized place. Troy knew that the Wild Zone had been artificially created, but it was the nearest thing in the colony to Mother Nature. Troy and the others arrived in the Wild Zone late Friday evening. It was still reasonably light, however, so they quickly set about putting up their tents. Troy and Chase collected some fallen tree branches, and in no time at all, they had made a blazing campfire. By the time they had completed this task, night had fallen. Troy looked up into the star-filled heavens, and for one brief moment, he forgot he was on Mars. This impression was soon dispelled when he saw the odd-shaped Martian moon Phobos. Troy took a deep breath and breathed in the cool night air. He watched as the girls heated up some baked beans. Summer handed him a paper plate, and soon Troy was hungrily tucking into his meal with his friends by the fireside. Once the teenagers had eaten, they began telling each other scary, spine-tingling stories. Summer's story was particularly spooky, and by the end of it, each and every one of them was ready to believe a ghoul or ghost was hiding behind the nearest bush. What's that? What's what?
2: I thought I heard some twigs snapping in the undergrowth.
3: It's probably some
1: small animal. For a moment or two, nothing moved. And then, a tall, dark figure emerged from the undergrowth. In the dim, orange glow of the campfire, Troy could make out very little of the man's appearance. The stranger stepped forward and entered more fully into the light provided by the fire. Now the man's features could be seen clearly. He had black, longish, unkempt hair, rather pale skin, intense blue eyes, and heavy three-day stubble on his face. Troy thought he looked about 30. What are you kids doing in the forest alone?
3: We could ask you the same thing. McCamping, why are you here?
2: You're him, aren't you? You're the assassin.
4: All right, yes, I am McFerguson's assassin, but the crook deserved it. You can't kill someone because of their political beliefs. I didn't kill him for political reasons. I murdered him because he destroyed my family. Before coming to Mars, he was our local senator. His policies cost my brother and father their jobs because he closed down the factory where they worked. But worse than that, McFerguson had an affair with my 18-year-old sister. He ran off with her, she became pregnant, and then when she told him about the baby, he left her. He just didn't want to know. My sister killed herself because of him.
3: What a rat. Okay, so that explains why you killed the senator. But what about the other stuff? What other stuff? Sabotaging the plants in the terraforming institute, poisoning the cattle, making the probes disappear, and
2: kidnapping scientists.
4: I had nothing to do with any of those things. I just wanted to kill Senator McFerguson.
2: So all those other things weren't some sort of plan to discredit McFerguson?
4: No, I swear they had nothing to do with me.
1: Something in the man's expression told Troy that what the stranger was saying was true. Troy's mouth suddenly felt very dry, and his palms felt sweaty as he realized that if the exhausted fugitive before him was not responsible for the acts of sabotage affecting the colony, then someone else was. Suddenly, the man's expression hardened as he pulled a gun from his pocket and aimed it at Troy and his friends.
4: Now that you know who I am, I have to get away from here. I want all of you to get into that rowing boat over there and row it out to the middle of the lake and then wait until you can no longer see me on the shore. An hour or so should be enough for me to escape.
1: They noted as they finally reached the center of the lake that the figure of the fugitive could no longer be seen on the shore. He had obviously already made his escape into the forest beyond. However, neither Troy nor any of his friends wanted to risk returning to shore before they were certain he had gone. One hour later, Troy and his friends decided it was safe to return to camp. Troy barely spoke as they rowed back to shore. He was deep in thought. His mind kept chewing over the events of the day.
3: Are we going to inform the police about McFerguson's assassin?
2: Well, of course we are. He's a murderer, isn't he? Yes, but don't you
3: feel a bit sorry for the guy?
2: Sort of, but we still have to inform the police, Troy. That man murdered someone. What's wrong, Troy?
3: This trip's not turning out at all like I expected.
2: Maybe we should cut this trip short and return home tomorrow. Yes, I reckon
3: that's what we should do. Anyway, we need to tell the police about the fugitive.
5: Can't we just stay another day, Troy?
3: No, now that I know that McFerguson's killer was not responsible for all the other stuff, I don't feel safe here anymore.
1: The following morning, Troy and the others packed away the tent and the rest of their belongings and set off on their hover bikes back to the city. The first thing they did on arrival back home was to visit the police station The detective in charge of Senator McFerguson's murder investigation, Detective Inspector Barker, was very interested in what the young people before him had to say. From the description Troy and his friends gave him of the fugitive, the police were able to identify the murderer as an American called Johnny Martelli, an unemployed carpenter from Arkansas. Descriptions of Martelli were circulated all over the colony. His face appeared in news reports on the internet and on television. Detective Inspector Barker was hopeful that the fugitive would soon be apprehended.
4: You did the right thing, son.
0: I suppose they'll catch him quite soon.
3: Yes, probably. But it won't stop all the weird things that have been happening in the colony since we got
4: here. He wasn't responsible for that other stuff then?
3: No, he wasn't. Martelli was only responsible for McFerguson's murder and not any of the other
0: things. So, someone else is sabotaging the colony? Yes. Well, that doesn't exactly make me feel all that safe. There's some sort of lunatic going around sabotaging things.
1: Don't worry. The police will get to the bottom of this whole business eventually. Troy, however, was not reassured by his father's words of wisdom. In fact, he was more worried than ever. Despite the ample news coverage Senator McFerguson's assassination was receiving, his assassin remained at large. Detective Inspector Barker could not understand why, after weeks of the fugitive's face and description being circulated to virtually every man, woman, and child in the colony, there was still no news regarding his whereabouts. Sightings of Johnny Martelli had completely dried up. It was as if the man had disappeared off the face of the planet. Detective Inspector Barker wondered whether Johnny Martelli had somehow managed to escape on a space shuttle back to Earth. This was extremely unlikely, as security at the space shuttle base was very tight, but it was not altogether impossible to find some way to get on board a shuttle heading back to Earth. The detective's gut instinct, however, told him that the senator's assassin was still somewhere on Mars. Detective Inspector Barker told himself that he would capture Johnny Martelli if it was the last thing he ever did. In the meantime, Troy's life had returned to normal. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened for weeks now, and Troy began to wonder if perhaps the fugitive had lied about not being involved in all those other strange occurrences that had happened since the colonists' arrival on the planet. But his own inner voice told him that Johnny Martelli had not been lying. He wondered now if perhaps he could have been wrong in his initial character judgment of the man. Then, suddenly, a month or two after meeting Johnny Martelli in the wild zone, Troy returned home from school one day to find his father looking pensive and slightly worried. What's up, Dad?
4: Nothing much, I suppose. An unmanned probe disappeared this week. You never mentioned that before, Dad. I didn't think it was all that important. How can it not be important? I mean, Martelli couldn't be
3: responsible for the latest two probes disappearing, could he? This means that someone else is trying their best to sabotage the colony. We have to find out who's doing all this stuff. We have to find out who is behind all these acts of sabotage. I reckon as so many probes have disappeared, maybe they hold the truth behind everything. All the probes have gone missing on manned or unmanned voyages outside of the colony and the biospheres, basically on Martian terrain. We need to get a hold of a probe and see what's out there.
2: And just how are you going to do that?
3: Well, they keep the probes at the shuttle base. We need to break onto the base
2: somehow. That's easier said than done. Uh, Security at the base is very tight.
3: We need to get past security.
2: If we had some passes, we could do that. How are we going to get hold of passes? I could hack into the school's computer system and use it to forge passes for us. Why can't we use our home computers for that? Only the school computer is linked to the shuttle base.
3: Around half of the shuttle base is operated by robots. Once we have the security passes, it shouldn't be too hard to get past security there. Those robots are nearly as smart as humans, but not quite. They still haven't managed to work out when they're being tricked or taken for a ride. They're too trusting and too logical. We humans can still get the better of them because we're crafty and cunning.
5: What are you all up to?
3: Nothing much.
5: I know you're plotting something. I overheard you.
3: Okay, we're going to forge some passes, get onto the shuttle base, take it out onto the Martian terrain, and find out what's been going on with all those disappearing scientists and probes. I want to come. You can't! It's too dangerous!
5: I want to come. I want to be involved. If you don't let me come, I'll tell Mom and Dad what you're planning.
3: Oh, fine. Come along if you must.
5: You'll be glad you involved me in your little scheme in the
3: end. Just you wait and see. You can keep guard tonight when we sneak back into school to use the computer.
1: What
5: are the rest of you going to do?
3: Chase is the computer whiz. He's going to forge passes for us on the computer. Sky and I will help.
1: It was arranged that Troy and his friends would meet outside of the school at 8 o'clock. When the evening came, Troy was very nervous but only his sister Summer was aware of this fact. His parents were oblivious to how he was feeling. When dinner was over, they did not remark on anything unusual in their children's behavior. As both Troy and Summer had completed their homework for the day, they were quite happy to let them go out.
5: We're off to to the the cinema cinema now, now, Dad. Dad.
1: Okay. 10 minutes later, they were standing outside of the Neil Armstrong High School with Chase and Skye, wondering how to get into the building.
2: The caretaker's house is next door to the school. He always leaves his keys under the garden gnome on the front lawn. He doesn't, does he? (laughs) Yep, he really does.
3: Okay, let's go find this garden gnome.
1: Troy, Skye, and Summer followed Chase as he led them to the caretaker's house, which was a small, traditional-looking building utterly dwarfed by the much larger building beside it. As predicted, on the front lawn was an old-fashioned gnome. Troy lifted it up sheepishly. There underneath, as Chase had said, there was a large bunch of keys. With the keys in hand, they ran back to school. And after fumbling about with the various keys for 10 minutes, the teenagers eventually found the key to unlock the school's main entrance. When they entered the school's dark and deserted hallway, they decided to head straight for the computer lobby. Once there, Chase chose a computer and switched it on. Within seconds, he found the space shuttle website. Troy, Sky, and Summer watched in awe as he quickly hacked into the site and proceeded to create forged security passes that were virtually identical to the real thing. Now, Troy and his friends were ready to put the next step of their plan into action. The very next evening, Troy and Summer met their friends Sky and Chase by the recently erected statue of Senator McFerguson in the nearby park.
3: You've got the passes, right? Yes. Okay.
1: let's go then. Each one of them had brought with them their own hoverbike. Troy mounted his and pressed the ignition into life. Sky, Summer, and Chase did the same. The hoverbikes levitated off the ground and sped through the air. Half an hour later, they had reached the confines of the biosphere. Before entering into the tunnel that would take them into the harsh Martian world beyond, Troy and his friends got off the hoverbikes and put on their spacesuits. They then remounted their bikes and entered the tunnel that would lead them out of the biosphere. They then proceeded to pass through the numerous airlocks. Twenty minutes later, all four hoverbikes were parked outside of the biosphere. Troy glanced around at his surroundings. All he could see were red boulders and rocks. The terrain here was quite flat, however, In the distance, Troy could make out high mountains. He knew that hidden from view, there were also deep ravines and valleys. Troy's eyes suddenly found what they were searching for. There on the horizon were several large buildings and runways. This was the launching and docking area for the space shuttle and probes. The space shuttles were to transport passengers to and from Earth, but the probes were used to examine and explore the Martian surface. That's where we're heading. The hoverbikes took off again, this time heading towards the sprawling space shuttle complex in the distance. Once there, Chase, who had a photographic memory, recalled the map of the complex he had seen on the computer and led them directly to the building where the probes were kept. The building was heavily guarded by robots. Checkpoint. However, Once Troy and the others showed them their security passes, the robots asked them no further questions and let the four teenagers board a probe without any resistance whatsoever. Troy thought that it was a good thing that this particular building was guarded by robots, for robots were notoriously easy to hoodwink and manipulate. Their logical natures and lack of emotions meant that they did not fully understand the subtleties of human nature. They did not comprehend when they were being lied to intended to take everything at face value. It was thus Troy, Summer, Sky and Chase found themselves on board a space probe. Troy steered the probe toward the launch pad. The probe's rockets burst into life, and the probe shot up into the air. It flew high above the Martian terrain and from this height and location there was no sight of any abandoned or lost probes littering the surface of the planet. Troy decided that they might get a better understanding of what had actually happened to all the missing probes if they were at ground level. So he brought the space probe back to the surface. Once on the surface, the probe's wheels, which had been tucked up beneath it, came back down, and the probe resembled a tank. The probe was making good progress across the Martian surface when Troy spotted something strange on the distant horizon, a swirling cloud.
2: What on earth is that? I don't know. I do. It's a sandstorm.
1: The red cloud moved at amazing speed, and before there was time to escape, the storm had reached the probe, enveloping it in a huge red sandstorm. When Troy looked out of the probe's portholes now, all he could see was a thick, red, impenetrable soup. The probe's wheels were soon clogged up with sand. And indeed, after a few more minutes, the probe itself was half covered in sand. Several minutes later, the sand had all but covered the probe. Tiny particles of dust began to seep into the engines, stopping the probe from working properly. Now, the probe was not only unable to move, but it became dark as the probe sank deeper and deeper into the sand, and the air filters ceased to work, so that Troy and his friends were slowly choking. <coughs> buried alive! <coughs> Seconds later, Troy, Summer, Sky, and Chase were unconscious and at the very brink of death. However, they did not die. And sometime later, Troy opened his eyes to find himself lying on a bed in a white, windowless room. There appeared to be no furniture in the room except for the four beds on which he and his friends lay. Troy noticed that, so far, he was the only one to have regained consciousness. Troy turned to observe his friends more closely. Someone had placed them all on narrow beds and covered their bodies with silver metallic sheets. Soft pillows of the same material had been carefully placed beneath their heads. Someone had rescued them from being buried alive and taken care of them. And yet there was something about this room that reminded Troy of a prison. As he continued to glance round, he noticed that not only was the room windowless, but there also seemed to be no door. The light in the room was entirely artificial, although Troy could see no light bulbs of any kind.
3: Where are we? We're in some sort of weird white room. There are no windows or doors. (sighs) Um, How did we get here? Someone must have brought us here. But who? Hmm. I expect we'll
1: find out quite soon. What felt like several hours went by without anything happening. Troy began to grow very restless. He even wondered whether he and his friends might actually be dead. What if this was the afterlife? Suddenly, one wall rose up like a screen to reveal that they were actually within a room in a much bigger building. The building itself seemed to be made almost entirely of green glass. They were obviously on one of the top floors of this building that they could see many other oddly-shaped buildings stretched out beneath them. The buildings that flanked the one they were in were strangely organic structures. Many of them looked like elongated toadstools. A dull greenish light pervaded everything. One of the other white walls of their room lifted up. Troy gasped in shock as he saw that they were surrounded by a group of ten small, gray-skinned men... For the creatures before them were not really human, but rather humanoid. The creatures were about the size of a ten-year-old child. They had huge, bulbous heads, extremely large black eyes, tiny noses, mouths, and ears, and fragile-looking limbs. Their skin was a light gray color, and they appeared to be entirely hairless. Each of them wore a silver metallic bodysuit and carried some sort of laser gun. Also strapped to their waist were spherical objects that looked rather like silver eggs.
5: Who... who are you? For want of a better word, we are the Martians, the original inhabitants of this planet. I don't understand. We have always lived on Mars. This has always been our home.
1: Many thousands
5: of years ago, we were like you are now. We even looked like you do now. But then, there was a terrible war. This made life on the surface of Mars uninhabitable. So we went to live underground. We built cities underground, and we continued to live our lives the best we could. Slowly, our bodies changed and evolved to fit in with our lives beneath the surface. And after many thousands of years more, we became what you see today.
3: It's you! You're the ones that have been sabotaging the colony!
5: Yes, it is us who have been sabotaging your colony. We have had to do this because you are invading our planet. This is our home, not yours. We don't want you here. We have never wanted you here. Have you Earth people ever wondered why so many of your unmanned and manned probes have been reported missing since your earliest missions back in the 1970s? It is because we have been sabotaging your attempts to colonize our planet since then.
3: But we want to make Mars habitable again. We want to terraform the planet. We cannot share our world with you humans. Two species such as ours cannot live peacefully side by side.
2: So you have been raging a silent, one-sided war against us?
5: Only now it is time to make our presence known. It is time to launch a real war against you, the Alien Invader. (gasps) What? What What will you do with us? (gasps) You will become our slaves, just like all the other captives. You can't do that to us! We have studied your Earth history, and we know that slavery has been commonplace on your planet. In fact, some civilizations, such as the ancient Romans, depended on it to make things run smoothly. So don't go telling us that we can't keep you as slaves.
1: With that, Troy, Summer, Sky, and Chase were chained and led onto a windowless vehicle which half resembled a high-speed train but for the most part resembled nothing created by man. Their journey took next to no time at all. Within minutes, they had reached their destination. Once there, they were led into an organic-looking building that mimicked the shapes of nature. Within the building, it was ornately and beautifully decorated. It was surprisingly airy and light, feeling spacious and cozy at one and the same time. A gray figure approached Troy and his friends, The figure was stouter and of a bigger build than the other Martians Troy had seen. I am Emperor Mag. You will all be my slaves. The two females will serve my wife, Teza, and my daughter, Pani. The males will join my other slave and help me run my household. Troy watched as Skye and his sister were led away to separate quarters, while he and Chase were taken to a different part of the house. They were now in a large room filled with all kinds of strange equipment Troy did not recognize. He was to later understand that this room was, in fact, the kitchen, and the equipment within it were cooking utensils. It's you! When
4: I tried to escape from the biosphere, I didn't get very far. I was soon captured by the Martians and brought here to be the Emperor's slave.
3: So if you're here... Then does that mean that all of those scientists who have disappeared are here, too?
4: Yes, I've seen lots of other captured humans.
3: What about my dad, Brad Priestley?
4: I've seen him. He's here.
3: And Skye's father, Mark Hammond, is he here, too?
4: Yes, he is.
3: What is it?
4: Brad Priestley and Mark Hammond are both here. But I don't think they've fared as well as I have. I think they've both become slaves to owners who mistreat them because both of them looked thin and exhausted the last time I saw them.
3: This is an awful situation. We have to do something to help your father and Skye's dad.
2: And we can't just let the Martians destroy the colony. What can we do, though? No one's going to listen to us.
1: As it happened, someone was willing to listen to them. Emperor Mag had a son, Borak, who was a youth about Troy's age. Borak had his father's sense of justice as well as his mother's keen intelligence. He was intrigued by the humans in his household and questioned the justification for a war against humanity. At first, shy and reserved, it was not long before Borak was spending hours with Troy and Chase conversing. Troy and Chase told Borak about Earth. The Martian boy was fascinated by tales of the beautiful alien world so unlike his own. They told him about the colony and the colonists' dream of terraforming Mars and bringing back life to the planet. In exchange, Borak would tell them about life in their underground world. One day, he told Troy and Chase something which shocked and surprised them. My race is
5: slowly dying. How do you mean? Uh, Our bodies have become increasingly puny and weak and each generation is becoming more and more sterile. Fewer children are being born with each new generation.
2: And nothing can be done to reverse this trend?
5: No, I don't think so. Although our scientists have been looking into ways to reverse the process.
3: How long will it take before your races die out altogether?
5: I don't know, a hundred years, maybe longer. Then why
3: are your species so keen on waging war against us? After all, in the long run, You won't have this planet, either, if you face extinction.
5: It's the blinkered attitude of the military strategists. I know. We've got plenty of humans
2: like that, too.
1: Meanwhile, Sky and Summer were becoming well-settled with the Emperor's household. Pani, his daughter, was of a similar temperament to her brother, and at 16 was slightly more mature than either her sibling or the two human girls who had suddenly entered her home. When Sky told her about her father and Chase's father, Brad Priestley, she immediately arranged a secret meeting for them.
5: Mark Hammond and Brad Priestley are the slaves of one of my father's advisors, Clag. A nasty piece of work, if ever there was one. He usually goes to the theater every rest day. That's tomorrow. When Clag goes to the theater, he normally takes his entire family, so his house is empty, except for the slaves. I could smuggle you both into Cloud's house tomorrow evening for an hour or so. It's a bit risky, but I must see my father. Very well, then. Tomorrow evening it is.
0: Colony is written by Patricia Keeler. Your very skilled narrator is none other than Jeff Moon. Troy Robinson is played by Joe Brillin. Sky Hammond is M.A. Dorfler. Dexter Robinson, a.k.a. Troy's dad, is played by Steve Katz. Senator McFerguson is voice acted by Joe Stofko. Chase Priestley is voice acted by Scott Slagle. Summer Robinson is played by Nina Bricko. Dana Robinson, known as Troy's mom, is played by Alana Labarine. Mac is voice acted by Frank Guglielmellie. Sally is played by Jennifer Knighton. Elder Martian voice acted by Anne Greist. Young adult Martian, Frank Gugliamelli. Emperor Mag is voice acted by Pete Lutz. Clag is played by Rich Green. Borak is voice acted by Paul Arbisi. Television newscasters and other voices are by Daniel French, Caitlin Curtis, and Spencer J. Frederick. Editing, sound design, and music are by Daniel French at Fishbonious Sound Design. Thank you again for traveling the spectral streams on Chronosphere Fiction. Until next time, keep your cosmos clean.